Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Brad Kearns to tell you about Organifi Green Superfood Powder. This is a great tasting green powder. It's amazing, but true. Mix it in water and it's delicious. So you'll use it every single day to get a nice dose of greens, especially if you're traveling, especially if you're trying to go keto and you're not eating that many carbs. This is a great way to ensure that you get all the nutritious benefits in a variety of fruits and vegetables. Mix it in your smoothie. I mix it with my ketone supplement. So even when I'm not eating, I get my greens every single day. Why don't you try some? Go over to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, and enter the code PRIMAL at checkout, and you will get 15% off your first order. Enjoy! Greetings, Primal Endurance podcast listeners. This is Lindsay Taylor, back with another Primal Endurance Q&A episode. Today, we're going to take a bunch of questions having to do with strength training and how to incorporate strength work into a Primal Endurance protocol. So um, before we begin, let me just remind you that if you have any questions for us that you'd like to have answered on the Primal Endurance podcast, go ahead and email us at info at primalendurance.fit. And I will answer your question by email, and then we'll put it in the queue to be answered on a future Q&A show. So what do you say we just go ahead and get started here? Okay, question number one from an unnamed person. Question is, would I ruin the purpose of an aerobic base building block by adding in some lift heavy things? So lift heavy things is the way we phrase it in the Primal Blueprint Fitness uh, Pyramid, right? So can I lift heavy things? In general, are the benefits of building an aerobic base worth it for athletes that only have modest endurance goals? If so, how should the average primal blueprint enthusiast incorporate periodicity into their training regimen? Okay, so let's take that middle question first. Are the benefits of building an aerobic base worth it for athletes that only have modest endurance goals? And the ap- answer is absolutely, definitely. 100%. Yes, the purposes of building an aerobic base are worth it, even if you have only modest endurance goals. Because remember, the purpose of building an endurance or an aerobic base for endurance athletes is not just the performance benefits that come with building an aerobic base, which are, you know, tremendous for endurance athletes who need the aerobic base for their long sports. But also there's just an overall health benefit to focusing on aerobic base training, you know, in terms of being less inflammatory, less injury prone, um, increasing fat burning. You know, if you have body composition goals, that's very helpful. So there are definitely benefits to building an aerobic base, even if you only have modest endurance goals. And I would almost be inclined to argue that the benefits are even greater for modest goals from one perspective insofar as, you know, if you're an elite athlete and you're racing for glory and prize money, then, you know, you could make a case, maybe not a terribly compelling case, but you could make a case that you have um, more skin in the game and it makes more sense for you to do things in your training that might be kind of borderline uh, health pushing, you know, pushing your health boundaries. And there's really no reason to push those boundaries if you only have 
modest endurance goals. There's really no reason to push the boundaries of health and sacrificing health for your sport. If you are like me, you know, a middle of the pack athlete who wants to just go out there and have fun and be healthy and do their sport for a long time. So to answer your question, yes, definitely worth it. Um, would you ruin the purpose of an aerobic base building block by lifting weights by doing strength training? Um, so this is a question that comes up a lot. And so what I normally say is this. So weightlifting and strength training is inherently anaerobic, right? And so when you're doing your aerobic blocks, you want to be careful to avoid anaerobic work because anaerobic work offsets and, you know, someone sets you back from your aerobic base building. And then, of course, the other side of the coin then is that we know that strength training is just really important for endurance athletes and for all people in general um, and for, you know, health and longevity and um, mobility and all sorts of things. So that's why Primal Endurance recommends the periodized approach where you do you know, a few weeks of primarily volume and endurance, but keep it at your aerobic heart rate. So you keep all your exercise at or below 180 minus age, and you say do more of your long runs or your long rides or whatever. And then you cycle in to a higher intensity block. So you do a few weeks of sprints or, you know, tempo runs or whatever you want your higher intensity speed work to be perhaps, and or you do your higher intensity weight training. And then in between those workouts, you allow for a lot of recovery. And the way you do that is you dial your volume way back so that you have days in your high intensity blocks, your high intensity periods where you're just resting, like maybe more days than days that you're actually working out. Um, So that's the purpose of the periodized approach. But people always say, you know, do I really have to do no strength work at all during these aerobic blocks? So what I usually say is this. If you're at the beginning of your season and you're coming off your long season ending rest from the season before, and now you're going back into a new training cycle and you're doing your eight week initial aerobic base building I think this is the time to be absolutely the most conservative. So when you're doing this long block of aerobic base building, you want to be as conservative as possible. Then once you hit the periodized phase of training where you're rotating between the higher intensity periods and the aerobic periods, I loosen up the reins a tiny, tiny bit. Um, I still do not ever do high intensity strength work during my aerobic phases, but I will allow in slightly more of the primal essential movements. So those are the push-ups, pull-ups, squats, and planks, and you can kind of tailor the intensity of those. You can do, you know, a 20-second plank versus a two-minute plank. You can do, you know, regular push-ups versus incline push-ups. You can do slow um, body weight squats versus weighted squats. So During the aerobic periods, I will do some primal essential movements and some other types of kind of low and slow movements, things that address mobility, things like yoga and Pilates. Um, I'll do, say, light balance work on a BOSU ball, 
but I won't do super heavy weight. You know, I wouldn't do an MSP workout. Um, and then during the high intensity periods, that's when you introduce the really heavy weights. So you don't have to completely give up all strength work during your aerobic periods, but you want to be really smart about it and you want to do more, you know, body weight, much less intensity, um, less frequency. And again, you need to run your own cost benefit analysis here and decide how conservative you want to be. And especially, you know, of course, if you're going to be a person who is not going to do a full periodized approach, but you're going to say, work on base building for six months, that doesn't mean that you can never do any kind of strength work for six months. It just means that two things. One, um, you know, keep it, I would advise you to keep it more kind of functional and um, lighter weights as opposed to trying to, you know, bulk up or build muscle. And then the second thing is when you do uh, any kind of strength workout, just make sure you're sufficiently recovered before you go back to your aerobic work. So those are the two rules of thumb I follow. And then how do you incorporate it? What I just said, you can either follow the plan in the book and follow kind of a really strict periodized approach, or you can just be completely intuitive about it and wait till you say, man, today I really feel like going into the gym and I feel like throwing down some weights and that's what I'm going to do. But then the next day I'm going to rest. And then two days after I'm going to see how I feel and maybe Instead of my planned, you know, 45-mile bike ride, I do an easier 20-mile bike ride. And then after two or three days, then maybe I go back into kind of my planned longer rides, higher volume, whatever. So there's no hard and fast rule here, but the idea is that you just want to be smart about it and not do things that undermine your aerobic training. And those things are adding really high-intensity work, not recovering enough, and not reducing the volume of your aerobic work when you are adding in any kind of strength work. So that's what I would say as the rules of thumb. Okay, next question is from David, age 49, another strength training question. So he says, my question is about strength training. I've heard and read many times that if you stop strength training for 10 days or two weeks, I've heard different ranges, that you begin to lose strength. I've recently started heavy lifting, primarily squats and deadlifts, which I've never done before. I'm enjoying the feeling of the added strength and believe it's helping me. What I don't understand is your recommendation to only do it two to three weeks at a time. Don't you lose strength that you've added once you stop? Is there some lesser version of heavy lifting that one can do to be sure to maintain the strength that's achieved from the heavy lifting? Okay, so um, we covered some parts of this question before about why we recommend to only do it two to three weeks at a time. But let me just reiterate that part of the thing about the primal endurance periodized approach is kind of the assumption that you're not going to have all things at all times in equal measure, right? So you're not going to be at 100% of your potential strength, 100% of your potential endurance, um, you know, 100% of your potential speed every day, 365 days a year. Um, That's the typical approach where you try to maximize everything all the time. And that's how people end up injured and sick and burned out and, hating life and, you know, too tired to interact with their families after their workouts and stuff. So we don't really have a problem with the idea that, you know, some of your of your metrics like speed or strength or whatever would kind of ebb and flow a little bit within the confines of the training season. So if you take a big picture approach, you know, there are going to be times when you're better at one thing and better at another and you're focusing on one thing and then you focus on something else. 
you know, if you take a few weeks off from heavy lifting, you're not going to lose every gain you've gotten since your last heavy period. But will you be absolutely as maximally strong two weeks later if you haven't done it? Probably not. Um, That's not something that we really worry about. We really worry more about taking this big picture approach and finding balance across the entire training season. And that's, you know, kind of the game that endurance athletes play when you try to time your peak before your races, right? So you're the idea is not to peak every day. The idea is to kind of slowly build. And if things ebb and flow a little bit, that's fine. But you're slowly building towards your A race. And then, you know, you time it so that ideally you go into your A race as healthy and as fast and as strong as possible. So like I said to uh, the response to the last question, in between your high intensity periods, you can do, you know, body weight exercises or lighter weight exercises as long as you're very cognizant about keeping them low intensity. Um, Don't do the heavy strength work. And, you know, again, focus, just keep in mind that the focus during the aerobic periods is on other things, right? You know, so you're focusing on on your aerobic system, you're focusing on fat burning, you're focusing on maybe mobility. During my aerobic phases, I do a lot of balance work um, because I know that balance is something I need to be focusing on. So I'll do, you know, a lot of standing on one foot on a BOSU ball and very slow supported one-legged pistol squats, um, you know, standing on one leg and passing a very light weight around my body. So, you know, there are things, there's plenty of ways to spend your time working on things that all build towards your bigger endurance goals that don't involve heavy lifting. So just remember that your goal is not to be in peak performance in every aspect of every, you know, functionality every day of the year. You have to kind of, everything's about trading off and making choices. And for the purposes of health, then you just need to understand that there's only so much stress your body can take at any one given time. Okay, Diane from Bulgaria, awesome, says, I am 29, training for my first Ironman in September. Actually, my first triathlon ever, which is both rad and a little terrifying. So good job, Diane. Um I started with four months aerobic base building with my pulse at 141 to 151. After that, I started doing some short strength sessions, maybe mainly push-ups and planks. So far, so good. The problem is that I feel I need more strength in the water. During the swim sessions, I feel like my muscles are getting tired and not my lungs. How should I build up my strength? What exercises would you recommend? Is rubber band training a good option? Um, so first of all, high five for starting with four months of aerobic base building, keeping your heart rate at or below 180 minus age. So for Diane, um, 151 is the uh, aerobic heart rate. So um, 141 to 151 is kind of within 10 beats below. So that's a good kind of uh, range to start with. Um, so yeah, swimming exercises. So one thing I would mention just in general to anyone who's looking to get into triathlon and swimming is that swimming is the sport by far where poor technique is going to hurt you. So you're going to, your times are going to suffer. Um, and what happens with swimming is that it's kind of, it's hard to assess your own technique. And so, you know, you get in the pool, you're doing a ton of laps, or maybe you're going out and you're open water swimming. And if your technique is poor to start with and you can't see it in the water, um, 
and it's kind of hard to feel if you don't know what you're doing, then you just repeat the same poor technique over and over. And obviously that happens with the run as well, but there's just a really big um, cost to it in the water in terms of efficiency. So I would suggest to anyone who's getting into triathlon that doesn't feel like they really know how to swim properly and well to think about if you can investing the money in hiring a coach, at least for a couple sessions who can observe your technique and watch you in the water and maybe tape you and give you some swim drills. So I actually think that it's worthwhile as a swimmer to spend a fair amount of time doing different technique drills um, to work on your body position in the water, your catch, your pull, your kick, you know, all the different elements that go into it. Um, And you can find the swim drills online. Again, it's kind of, it's more helpful if you've if you know where your inefficiencies are, but any swimmer can benefit from doing probably any number of these swim drills and spending a not insignificant amount of time in the pool working on drills. Um, One thing I want to throw out there is that the Primal Endurance Mastery course that's now available does have a bunch of videos with um, coach, Primal Coach extraordinaire, Andrew McNaughton, who's been a frequent guest on the podcast with Brad. There are a bunch of videos in which Andrew and his uh, associates demonstrate different swim drills that are tailored towards distant swimmers and triathletes that you can check out. Um, There's one where Andrew does some advanced swim drills. That's really cool. You can also go listen to, there's an old episode of the Primal Endurance podcast. uh, It's number 26 with Andrew, where he talks about um, swimming and how to train for swimming So that's something to look into. And then just one thing I'll throw out there. um, When I'm training for triathlon, one thing I focus on a lot is my lat strength. So you can look up um, videos or or exercises online that show you different lat exercises. Sure, rubber band training is fine. Um, I use cable pull machines to work my lats a lot. Um, So those are some things to think about for swimming. And then Diane has a second part to her question. So her second question is about stretching. I know Dr. Maffetone thinks it is not necessary to stretch. Even more, he recommends avoiding it. I'm not talking about warm-up stretching. I'm warming up with 15 minutes slow jog. I'm talking more like mobility stretching. Stretch in order to get more mobility in the joints and to loosen up the muscles like after a workout. My muscles are pretty stiff, and I don't feel like my joints are very mobile. Is Pilates a good option for mobility? Yes, Pilates is a great option for mobility. Um, let me go back to the Dr. Maffetone thing. So, yeah, Dr. Maffetone is not a fan of stretching. Particularly, he speaks out a lot about stretching, static stretching in particular, before workouts. And I think that everyone pretty much agrees now. Static stretching before workouts is not a good idea. It, you know, it leads to injury. Um, he and we, uh, primal endurance definitely emphasize a dynamic warm up. So 12 to 15 minutes where you do some slower version of the exercise you're going to do. So you walk, if you're going to run, you pedal with very light resistance. If you're on your bike, you do kind of very, a couple very slow and easy laps in the pool, and then maybe do some arm circles and that, you know, maybe some deep squats if you're going to run. So definitely warming up is very important. But yes, stretching before a a workout, a static stretch before a workout is out. 
Um, but no, we're into stretching. I mean, stretching and mobility work is c- part of the recovery component of primal endurance. Um, we talk a lot about mobility and these kind of these stretches where you hold them for a long time, one, two, sometimes up to 10 minutes if you're following Kelly Starrett and doing his mobility wads, um, which you can also, by the way, check out online. He has a bunch of mobility wad videos on YouTube, like more than I would ever have time to watch in my lifetime. Um, so yeah, go ahead and stretch if you feel like you need to stretch. Um, also, since you're training for your first Ironman, I would definitely be suggesting, you know, myofascial release, foam rolling, um, you know, getting a, a lacrosse ball or one of the lacrosse ball type implements that you see in running stores, um, Pilates, yoga, anything like that, that kind of works your body, helps work on mobility, joint flexibility, your fascia, um, balance, all those things are really good options for you. You would also, um, maybe if you, again, have the time and can afford the expense, look into someone who does um, sports massage for endurance athletes. I am deeply affectionate towards my sports massage person. When he retires, I will for real cry. Um, I love him. He is a huge part of my training program. Um, And again, just one more thing I want to throw out there is also in the Primal Endurance Mastery course, we have a lot of videos talking about mobility and showing different um, mobility exercises and um, yoga with Ted McDonald, who's the Tour de France yoga instructor. We have um, videos on self-myofascial release. We have videos with Tim DeFrancesco, who is the strength and conditioning coach for the LA Lakers, showing you how you can do your own movement assessments and identify areas of tightness or imbalance and then provide some exercises to um, address those areas. So again, we have like hours and hours of videos of this in the Primal Endurance Mastery course, which you can go check out at primalendurance.fit and you can see the table of contents. Um, So anything like that is going to be a really huge component of your overall training um, of your overall training regimen, because taking care of your body when you're not exercising is absolutely, you know, especially for you when you're probably doing tons of volume training for an Ironman um, is super important. And yes, I'm a huge fan of Pilates specifically. Okay, let's do one more. Um, Again, I don't know this person's name. So nameless person. I'm now planning to train for a 100K ultra that has actually already passed. So hopefully that went well for you. Congratulations, I hope. Um, so 100K, so 62 miles, that has a massive amount of vertical gain, nearly 20,000 feet of elevation and the same downhill. How do you recommend training my body for the uphills and downhill climbs? I know that MAF is still the base for fat adaptation and aerobic endurance, but what's the best way to get the specific strength I need for climbing 10 summits? Okay, cool question. So, I mean, obviously, yes, the the number one thing you want to have dialed in when you go into a 100K race is your fat burning and your aerobic um, uh, capacity. So definitely it makes sense for someone who's running 100K to spend the vast majority of their time 
working in the aerobic zone and working at building fat burning, getting their diet dialed in. I mean, diet's going to be a huge component of it. Also for someone training for a hundred K, you really want to go into something that long and that uh, grueling with a pretty good fueling plan. And I don't mean fueling plan in terms of like, I will eat every X miles, but knowing the kinds of foods that your body is likely to tolerate or at least what you're going to start with and then flexibly adapt in the moment. Because as if you've ever been to a hundred K or participate in a hundred K, you know that things can get dicey out there and your best laid plans may go by the wayside at mile 49 or whatever. Okay. So, but specifically to the question of how to train the body for uphill and downhill climbs. So it just so happens I had pulled this question out to answer on this podcast. And then I was listening to an episode of a Trail Runner Nation podcast, and they mentioned that in the June 2017 issue of the Trail Runner magazine, there is uh, an article about how to become a better climber, even if you live someplace flat. So I checked that out. I think that that article is really good. So go check out Trail Runner magazine, and they give some um, tips in there and some exercises, some drills you can do to work on uh, climbing. One thing I would mention about the drills that they offer is that they are going to you know, be the kind of drills that raise your heart rate. And so technically, from a primal endurance perspective, would fall into this kind of borderline higher intensity work. So you know, don't be doing them you know, five days a week after every one of your runs. But if you want to incorporate them you know, periodically into your, into your training, that those, the, the exercises they offer in this article are... Um, seem to me to be really good ideas. Um, I, a couple things I would add to what is in this, in that article. Um, so I do, when I'm training for ultras, I do some of my aerobic training on the stair climber in the gym, or you can do it on the treadmill set to incline and just keep the speed way down and wear your heart rate monitor and just do some of your miles at an incline, but just do not try to do incline and speed at the same time. For one thing, you're going to be um, hiking these hills during the ultra, almost certainly, unless you're like an amazing mountain goat. You're going to be walking the hills anyway, so there's no reason to try to be sprinting up these hills in training. So go out, find hills by your house if you can, even if you don't live in a very mountainous place, and walk up the hills and then run down them. Walk up the hills and run down them. Walk up the hills and run down them. And when you run down them, run as fast as you can while keeping your heart rate aerobic, which shouldn't be as difficult because you have to remember that a huge part of the training for the downhills is probably as important as training for the uphills. If you've done an ultra before that has a lot of elevation, you know, my experience and the people I run with have said the same that it's not the uphills that are killing them by the end. It's just the downhills and your quads are trashed and you get to another downhill and you're like, honestly, I'd rather just run uphill some more. Is there another uphill I can do? So I do not have to run this steep downhill because my legs are telling me absolutely not. So training for the downhill is really important and you can absolutely do downhill, even like downhill sprinting really during an aerobic period because your heart rate will stay low and it's really good for practicing turnover, uh, like, you know, foot turnover, and then also just the musculature that it takes to kind of, you know, stop your body as you're running downhill. 
you know, look up some of the, look up some articles about how to position your body in terms of leaning. You know, you want to lean into the hill when you're going uphill, for example. So body position can be important, but yeah, focus primarily on math. Um, do some uh, training on a slow training, aerobic training on treadmills set to high incline or um, on stair climbers. And then the other thing I would mention is that, you know, a lot of this with the elevation, especially, but just in any kind of ultra like this is going to come down to um, running on tired legs and trying to climb on tired legs. So, you know, for something like this, I still recommend doing sometimes doing long back-to-backs. So, you know, you do back-to-backs on Saturday, a long run on Saturday and a long run on Sunday and be prepared, you know, on Sunday when you're going into, into it fatigued anyway, be mentally prepared to do plenty of hiking. Um, like, because you don't want to go into it fatigued. If you're fatigued, some people report that when they're fatigued, their heart rate is lower and some people report that it's higher. Um, but lower is actually pretty common. So, um, you know, just make sure that you're watching your heart rate, being mindful, listening to your perceived exertion, but being prepared to run on tired legs, kind of irrespective of the elevation is going to be something that's really helpful for you. Okay, you guys have heard me talk enough for today, I think. So again, let me just direct you guys to our fairly new now um, Primal Endurance website, primalendurance.fit, where we are going to be posting our blog, our success stories, our podcast archive, and then all the information about the Primal Endurance online mastery course, which you should check out if you haven't yet. Come find me on Facebook in our Primal Endurance Facebook group. Um, search in groups and then ask to join and you can post any questions you have there um, interact with other members of the community post race reports uh, get high fives virtually high fives for your successes and virtual commiseration for days that were harder for you Um, and uh, if you do have any questions info at primalendurance.fit Oh, and I need a sign off, you guys. I don't ever know how to end these things. And normally I do like seven or eight takes where I'm like, ugh, I hated that. Ugh, I hated that. So um, go over to our Facebook page, join our Facebook page and tell me how to sign off. I need like a catchphrase or I'm not going to sing. So that's out. So don't even say sing or rap. Those are not options, but I need something. So please help me. In the meantime, I will just say... Goodbye, sayonara, so long, happy training, peace. Hi, this is Brad Kearns to tell you about Primal Endurance Online Multimedia Educational Mastery Course. And what we have done for the past year is basically bring the book Primal Endurance to life with a series of videos and other multimedia educational material, audio, ebooks, all accessed at this online portal with everything you need to succeed in endurance training. And if you're trying to do this stuff, if you're enjoying these compelling challenges and trying not to get sick, injured, burnt out, fried, this is going to help you approach your endurance goals in a healthy, balanced manner and promote your health rather than compromise it. 
get away from carbohydrate dependency and progress toward fat adaptation through dietary patterns, the primal approach, as well as the proper training methods that Mark Sisson and I have been dispensing for decades to endurance athletes. And we're talking about building that aerobic base, balancing stress and rest, integrating high-intensity workouts in the proper manner so that they actually help you make quick improvements in fitness rather than break you down. And, of course, throwing in all that lip service stuff, the complementary lifestyle practices like getting enough sleep, having a process-oriented approach rather than a high-stress, results-oriented, type-A, over-competitive approach. And what the course does is bring in many, many of the world's leading experts in all manner of endurance training, exercise physiology, nutritional science, medicine, and I interviewed these people. I traveled all over the continent of North America and got these wonderful interviews, which we packaged onto the course. It's over 120 videos many with the experts and also many others with the step-by-step instruction of what's in the book. So if you're too busy to read or you like to have a more comprehensive learning experience, check out Primal Endurance online. You'll have everything you need there at primalendurance.fit. 